0: Um, so, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit over the last number of weeks and months, and the reason that we're doing that is not just for uh, a theological kind of unpacking of who the Holy Spirit is, it's partly that, but it's p- because we feel that God is is, um, is really speaking to us about the Holy Spirit at the moment, and, and more, more than that, that the Holy Spirit is is revealing more of himself to us, coming on us in power and because he wants to. He wants to bring us to the, the Father. And, and we feel that the Holy Spirit, if we're being kind of honest about it, we feel the Holy Spirit wants to pour himself out in fresh power in a new way. As in this season that we're living in, we feel he is doing that. And we feel he wants to do it more. And so it's really important that as a people then, we know how to steward the things of the Spirit well. We understand the Holy Spirit, that we don't that we get mature and grown up if you like, in our thinking about the Holy Spirit, that we don't just let it become something that we almost, um, sometimes when I hear people talk about the Holy Spirit, I I, I genuinely think they've had encounters, but they talk about the Holy Spirit like... um, like in a consumeristic way I just need this from the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit did this to me or this great kind of encounter and it loses a little bit of the reverence for who the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit as we come to realize is is God and so um, I want to do a bit of a quick recap here to try and um, bring people with me on the journey so sorry if you were here last week and the, the first 10 minutes of this or so sounds repetitive um but I, I just really feel there's some stuff here that we really need to, to land and let settle in our hearts. <clears throat> We've come to realize, I suppose in summary, that the Holy Spirit is person- First and foremost, not an it, not a thing, not a liquid, a person, the person of God. yeah And uh, he brings us the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is presence, it's the breath, the very manifestation of God's presence amongst us. That is the person of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is, is power. And while we see the Holy Spirit active throughout all of Scripture, we come to realize that Jesus said that there was a time coming that was going to be specific uh, or, or for the Holy Spirit, if that makes sense, or it was going to be better that Jesus would go so that the Holy Spirit would come, because we're going to live in an era where the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was going to be poured out on all flesh, okay? And so it was going to be better, Jesus said, that he could go, because the Spirit was going to come and not dwell in a temple anymore, but in the hearts of men and Women like you and me, and that we would be changed and transformed. Everyone, no matter what's going on in our life, no matter where we're coming from, that is God's desire for our lives that we'd be changed and transformed by the Spirit of God to do the things that Jesus did and to take on his very nature. This um, has really caught me over the summer, that we have been called, Second Peter, um, the, the scripture that we've been looking at a few weeks ago tells us that we were called to participate in the divine nature, to share the very life of God, to become Christ-like in our characteristics and also in doing the things that he did. <clears throat> so we, we received the Spirit to walk in sonship which is what we were born for, but also so that we can serve the purposes of God's kingdom where he's called us. And we've come to realize that life in the spirit is not living a life onto the desires of the flesh or the sinful nature, or what we might just call the disordered affections of our heart. That's why worship is so important. We'll get to that. Because in worship, we're rightly ordering the affections, the things we love towards Jesus. And so living in the Spirit is not living onto the human sinful nature, but it's also not living onto the law. The law wasn't enough to control those sinful things. It wasn't a source change. It was just trying to control our acts. And that's what so much of the New Testament is about. But rather, living in the Spirit is a life of true sonship, the very presence of God himself within us. And it's also a life of it will look like a life of agape love the very nature of who god is the very sacrificial kind of love that god is the self <clears throat> sacrificing other oriented love that's the love of God, and that's what a life in the Spirit should start to look like, so that when we wonder if we're keeping all the rules or not, if there's actually been a change in the very source of who we are, where we take on the very character of who God is, and we grow in that, then we will fulfill the law and more. That's what Jesus is saying, yeah? And that, that's what we want you to grasp over the last few weeks. So we're started to look at what a life in the Spirit actually looks like, but how do we maintain that? How do we stay in the Spirit? Because you can get out of step with the Spirit. You can quench the Spirit, you can resist the Spirit, and you can grieve the Spirit, right? In that way, we come to understand Spirit as person better, don't we? Because we can feel quenched, we can feel resisted, and we can feel grieved if we're in relationship with people, and we can do that to the Holy Spirit. And so we want to stay in step with the Spirit. And How do we do that? Just a quick run through. We surrender daily. We we learn how to decrease so that the life of God can increase. We, what we called, appropriate the work of the cross in our lives every day. We remember why we were baptized. We remember what we were identifying with in our baptism. We lose our lives every day so that we might find life itself. And you know what that sometimes feels like? There's a cost to that, of course, but what we start to realize is there's a joy unspeakable with it. It's like finding Jesus every morning all over again and recognizing the joy of what it is. As we lose our lives, we actually find life. Because if you want to keep your own life, stay in control of your own life, the Bible says you're going to lose it anyway. But if you lose your life, if you give up control, we'll find life. But we have to do that daily if we want to stay in step. Secondly, and the one we spent most time on, is we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Right? We apprentice Jesus. We obsess about Jesus. Romans 8 said, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit live according to the Spirit. The things of the Spirit. We. So what does that mean? I think that just means... Because Jesus lived a life that was, uh, uh, had, uh, was completely immersed in the life of the Spirit. Jesus was zero resistant to the Holy Spirit. Right, He showed us how not to ever resist the Spirit. He was constantly in communion with the Father through the Spirit, a life immersed in the Spirit. And so if we want to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, <clears throat> to stay in step with the Spirit, we learn how to just obsess about Jesus in our lives. We think about him. We meditate on his on his beauty. Because what we start to realize is, and this is what I think is really, really important in this series for us to grasp. Because I don't think in Northern Ireland, um, kind of evangelicalism, we really, really get this. Because our focus is often so much on what Jesus did for us, which it should be, right? So I'm not like... Um, and anyway, being critical of that because we want to remember constantly, weekly, daily, and have just said what Jesus has done for us to free us from our past. But there's very little teaching or thought or intention that goes into how do we actually live now? How do we actually live like Jesus? And we kind of think if we just show up on a Sunday and read our Bibles and do a bit of a quiet time, hopefully that'll be enough. But the reality is, most Christians, unfortunately, um, a, lot, a lot of Christians, I don't want to sound critical here, but often we don't really look enough like Jesus, but we're just grateful that we're saved because it gets us in and we don't have to worry about eternity. But what I want to try and help us understand today is because we swim in the same water as most of the people of this world, we get deformed spiritually. We, and so we need to be reformed or better, transformed. Because all the sins that we think we do, that we don't do, all of our sins, let let me say this, all of our sins are not decisions. If that makes sense. All of our sins aren't decisions. We actually just think sometimes sinfully. Now that's not because we're supposed to feel shame. That's just because we get caught up to think the way the world thinks about things. So that's why God says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to discern what is good. Right So we have to be able to discern what is good. so so we have to be changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ, because as I tried to say last week, we are being discipled by something. You know, our families are being discipled by someone. you know our kids are being discipled by someone. It could be YouTube. It could be Facebook. It could be all of those things which aren't in a sense wrong in themselves. But if we obsess more with those things than we do about Jesus, we're being discipled by them and not by Jesus. And so the affections of our heart are given to certain things. And if we don't watch certain things or read certain things, and I know I'm a preacher, so it looks like, you know, Rachel kind of gives off to me because it looks like I'm trying to find a sermon and everything, right? But the reality isn't, and I love a good movie and I love a good box set and I flick through Facebook and I do all those things. But if I don't do it with a filter, with a mindset, with a worldview that's biblical and that's Christian and that's Jesus-like, I just start to believe the things I read. I just start to think the way they think. I just start to swim in the same direction as all the other fishies are swimming in the sea. But I'm supposed to be swimming the other direction. Yeah? And so we need to be constantly working out how do we transform our lives. Uh, Some of you will, because you see, we've grown up, and and it's the best way, uh, well, maybe it's not the best way, but it's probably the best way to kind of explain sin to our kids. It's just to say, you know, if you like think a bad thought or if you steal something out of mummy's wallet or, you know, we, 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 we attribute it to actions that we do. And that's what sin is. But the first failure of human beings wasn't sins. It was idolatry. It was wanting to be God. It was wanting to give worth to something that wasn't God. Does that make sense? And so that's where sin comes from. It comes from our hearts clinging to things that aren't first and foremost God, our Jesus, as we've come to know God. Does so that make sense? And so, so sins flow out of that place. So that's why we have to do this constant kind of heart surgery because our hearts cling to things that aren't God. And then they become our gods. And worse than that, we become what we worship. We become what we worship. So C.S. Lewis said, C.S. Lewis said, and so some of you might, just some of you know that The screw Tape Letters was a set of books that C.S. Lewis had written, kind of playful. But very profound set of uh, um, kind of writings where he he imagines that the kind of uh, Uncle Screwtip is like a chief demon in hell, and he is writing to Wormwood, who is like a junior demon apprentice. Okay, and he's writing so Uncle Screwtip writes all of these different things to Junior Demon Wormwood to try and help him understand how to get the patient, they call it, the person that's thinking about becoming a Christian or has become a Christian, how can we kind of get them off course, right? That's the kind of theory of the book. And uh, he says this, so Uncle Screwtape is going to speak the wormwood because his patient has actually just become a Christian. And so Uncle Uncle Screwtape, the chain of chief demon, is speaking to junior demon to say, like, what did you let that happen for? But then he says this, and I think this is kind of profound. He says this. Nevertheless, he says, there's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemies, that's our, Jesus' camp, and they're now with us, or they're back with us. Look, all the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. Right, so they've, they've prayed a wee prayer. They've asked Jesus into their heart. They've done that. They're going to heaven. All of that. But the the, the, the demons in hell are like, it's alright because most of their habits are still all in our fever. And it's not like they're worshiping the devil because the devil's not really that interested in you worshiping him. He's more interested in you worshiping yourself. Or just getting obsessed with yourself and everything that you want for you and everything I want for me. Does that make sense? And so. We have all of these habits that need to be rehabited. Is that a word? Yeah. It's maybe not good English, but it's good preaching, as I say, eh? he right? Re- he rehabited. He re- we have to rehabit ourselves. We have to, like, and that only comes through a discipline. And, and sorry, I'm, I'm getting to the fruit of the Spirit now. But I just really feel this is really important. Because the problem is, I'll preach this on the, on the fruit of the Spirit here. I'm going to go through them quick. And you'll hopefully go, that all makes sense, that's brilliant. Hopefully, right? (laughs) May not, right? But hopefully you'll go, yeah, that makes sense. It should be like, you know, love, joy, peace. Like should do all of those things. But by Tuesday, and I'm talking to myself as well, by Tuesday nothing's really changed. We're still like, Honking the horn at the person that drives out, on us. There's not really much patience about us, you know. We're still kind of like really angry and cantankerous, and all of that around the house. We're still like we're lovely on a Sunday, but we're not brilliant around the house, you know. (laughs) And uh, I'm I'm speaking to myself as well. And we're all kind of human in that regard. We will all do and find ourselves in those places. I'm not saying we're supposed to be. We're all on a journey, but. At the same time, what I'm trying to say is that we're not just things that think. We're actually beings who live in bodies that love certain things. And you have to retrain your loves, your loves, the affections of your heart around Jesus. And Jesus, believe it or not, had certain practices, even though he was God, in order to maintain unity with the Father and walk in the Spirit. Jesus, Jesus who was God, but also fully human, lived and practiced certain disciplines in order to maintain that kind of unity. And so, um, uh, let me just flick through these just quickly. These are some of the practices. And it's another sermon for another time. But what I'd love to be able to do at some point is teach you how to put these things into your life. Not because they in themselves make you holy. They don't. But they provide an environment. They create a space for the joy of knowing Jesus and for the power of his presence to like zone in on your life and bring the change and transformation. And what happens was the first couple of times you're doing it, you'll go, oh, you know what, I just can't really bother with this. It's not really doing anything. I read my Bible. I went for a walk and all I ended up thinking about was everything I have to do anyway. So what was the point really doing that walk? Because then just keep doing it. Just keep doing it because Chief Demon, if you want to use that analogy, is probably saying the Junior Demon. Ha <laughs> ha! So we've got them. We just got them tied up in this because they don't think it's any good. They think they don't think it's doing any good. They're not being all of that kind of stuff, right? But keep doing it because you learn to love certain things. Yeah, you know when you like try to make your child like like broccoli or something. You know, like they hate it. You know, I I that's not a very good analogy because I still don't like it, right? Well, I'll go to my mum's today and she'll ask me do I want broccoli? And I'm 39 years old, right? I haven't liked it from, anyway. But, you know, you can actually teach yourself to to learn to like some things, right? You know, you can learn, You can't. we can retrain our habits and our loves in order to know God better. And what happens in that, slowly but surely, a process starts to happen where our desires, our very desires start to change. We start to love certain things. We start to, we start to, Love some of these practices because of what they do to us, how they change and transform us, and that's why I really want to emphasise that today. Because if we really want the fruit of the spirit to come in our life, that's what we need to think about. And finally, I said what you've done this morning. If we want to stay on step, we worship because that's basically kind of a summary of the second point anyway. But. Because we with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We behold Jesus. And as we behold him, we're transformed into his image. And uh, we become what we worship. And because it's an ever-increasing glory, then we can't get enough of it. We're always being changed and transformed. And so I I also want to say this just before I I jump in to just go through the fruit of the spirit quickly is... What I want to add to this idea of worship, it's not just individual worship. It's actually this. It's the community of faith worshiping together. Worship is our most central characteristic activity of the church because it's the place where the body is formed into the life of God. And as we get formed as a community into the body of Christ and look like him more and more, we become to the world a reflection of what God wants for all of creation. Right? It's much more about the community than it is about the individual in, in that sense. The church that we read about, so what happens, and I really want you to get this because sometimes we just come to church and think we're singing a few songs, a preacher preaches, throw so the kids in the kids' church, great, great morning. It's, it's something much more profound than that. In the New Testament, the church takes on what, I suppose, the theme in the Old Testament, which was the temple. The temple was the place here in the Old Testament where God came and met with his people. The glory cloud would have come down, and, oh, wow, God's in this place and all of that. In the New Testament, it's not any longer a building or a place in, in that regard, uh, a, a physical kind of building. It's, it's the people and who are bound together by the same Spirit that would have came down. He's in us. And so when we come together with the purposes of acknowledging the lordship of Jesus, Jesus comes in a very special way. That's why we don't try to wash on through worship. Because in that worship that we've just experienced, there are parts of the nature and the character of who God is that get revealed to us. He comes and inhabits the praises of his people. And I love this. We all with unveiled faces... It doesn't say the preacher with an unveiled face. It doesn't say one name. It says we all with unveiled faces, we all reveal a different part of the glory of God. So sometimes these messages that I set and prepare with a computer and try to shape and craft so that hopefully they make some sort of sense and hopefully in those times I'm being inspired by the Lord. I believe I am and hopefully I am. But the reality is when I preach these, which I often do in a mirror, most of the time they're not that great. And I think to myself, God, is this gonna even work? It just feels like I see words on a page, it feels a bit boring to me. How's everybody else gonna do it, right? Because what happens is when but when we come together, the life of the spirit is here and the thing comes alive. And the thing jumps off, hopefully words on a page and starts to connect with our hearts and so leads us in worship and Leslie leads. But more than just the people at the front, we're all with unveiled faces. Beholding the glory of the Lord and the Spirit is amongst us. And in this we're being changed. In this we're being transformed. In this we're starting to look like the body of Christ. And if you come to a church and if you commit yourself to a local church where the life of the Spirit is at work, you will be changed. If you come with an open heart, you will be changed. Right? So that, that, that is what the fruit of the Spirit is in us let me finish this just to say before I just jump into this. If the community of Jesus Christ is genuinely animated by his Spirit, then the hallmarks of the Spirit's presence should be evident whenever we gather as a people to offer praise and thanksgiving to God. Understood in this way, our corporate worship life can and should provide a kind of foothold for the Spirit's work. A foothold that can be nurtured and expanded to embrace the rest of our lives. So... When we come together to worship, it's like the Spirit has a foothold in which to work. Because we're here, and we're carrying him into this place, and we're acknowledging Jesus' Lordship, and then he can do something amongst us, and we can get changed and transformed into the people of God. The ultimate goal is not just actually for one person to look lots like Jesus, and the rest of us are going, aren't they great? The ultimate goal is for all of us as a, as a body, as a community, Kids get caught up in this. But people start to become like Jesus. And we start to look like a body of Christ. That's a reflection to the world of what God wants to do in all of the world. And so what, are this, what does this kind of life look like? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, gentleness, goodness, faith and meekness and self-control. Against such there is no law. Love looks like something. This agape love looks like something. And if we wanted to try and see what the hallmarks of transformation looks like, this is what they are. Now, we've talked a lot about love, but I think that we need to realize when we read that that the next, so there's nine here, including love, but I think the eight, the eight Stephen touched on this last week, the eight after love are kind of like uh, hallmarks or attributes of that agape love. So... um because the greatest of these is love. yeah. And what life in the spirit really looks like. These are all, the rest are expressions of that love. I love what uh, Ken- Kenison says here. The other eight virtues or dispositions that follow in Paul's list might be best understood as amplifying or further specifying what is entailed by this way of love. Uh, I think Stephen showed this last week, and it's a brilliant analogy of light hitting a prism. If you ever did this in physics, it would be physics, wouldn't it? Or something definitely wasn't like that. Anyway, yeah, so love coming as one light, and then it hits the prism, and and, and, and the attributes of that love are seen in, 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 in all the different colors of the rainbow. And it's a helpful kind of way for us to realize that love is the foundation of everything in the Christian life. It's a love that's totally different, by the way, than the way we use love in the world. Right? It's totally different. What we talk about with love has nothing to do with the love of the Bible, often in kind of popular culture today. Right? Love here is other-orientated, sacrificial, covenantal, laying down your life kind of love. Right? That's the kind of love that the Bible is talking about. That's the kind of love that Jesus showed us, and that's the kind of love that life in the Spirit actually looks like, because that's the divine nature. And so... um it's important that we just understand that when we're looking at this, like sometimes when the girls are looking at a rainbow in the car when it comes out, I'm trying to like remember from <laughs> school what are the colours again, and they goes in there somewhere as well. But you can never—they're never really, unless it's really stark, they never really are like really boundary. You know what I mean? You can see a bit of yellow and red, and then they sort of start to blur a bit together, and you see shades, but it's not like like there's like, big, fine, uh, definite lines around them. And that's a little bit like this. Because they're all hallmarks of love, they all kind of blend in and out of one another. Does that make sense? They blend in and out of one another. And so sometimes they kind of mean the same thing, but just with a slight distinctive. And so it's probably wise that we don't compartmentalize them too much. But what I'm going to do is just give you a flavor of what they they are now. And I'm going to have to race through them, but hopefully you can listen to it on the talk Um Listen to the talk um, on SoundCloud or whatever, maybe after the service. So let's love joy. Joy is such an underrated virtue, but joy is amazing. Here's the thing, right? I am so glad that joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit and intensity isn't. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? Like I have to remind myself of that like, too. Isn't it brilliant that seriousness isn't one of the fruit of the Spirit? Isn't that brilliant? Isn't it brilliant that, like, you know, like you know, me trying hard to prove that I'm spiritual, isn't it brilliant that that is not in the fruit of the Spirit, that me being over-intense and trying to, like, imp- all of that, like, isn't it brilliant? I just love that. Tell the person beside you, isn't it brilliant that joy is in, is one of the fruit of the Spirit? Like, it's like deep gladness, it's like ecstasy from within, it's like something that hits the center of who we are and just enlightens and enlivens our lives. And some of us, me included, we need to get our joy tanks filled up again. We need to ask Jesus to restore the joy of our salvation. Stephen mentioned it last week. David didn't lose his salvation, but he had lost his joy. And ask the Lord for the joy of his salvation. Joy is expansive. It opens up our lives in childlike surprise. That's what I think of joy. It's like a childlike kind of thing that just bubbles up from within and surprised. A deep, deep kind of pleasure. It's both the source and the object of our joy. And the thing about the joy that we need to remember is it's not... Sorry, in the back of my head as I'm preaching on this... I'm feeling like I should break out and I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And I'm trying, I'm trying to like ignore that. like right, Stay on course, all right? <sighs> down deep in your heart, yeah? The thing about joy is it's not your joy. It's Jesus' joy. So this is not about, right, I'm going to work myself up into a good mood. A strong coffee in the morning, you know, a few boiled eggs and, you know, I'm going to tell myself this is going to be... It's, it's not that. It's the joy of Jesus, It's a gift of God. And we just need to receive his joy afresh into our lives. It comes as a gift. And it's not just the absence of trouble. It's the presence of Jesus. I love this. Often we define joy or happiness as the absence of something desirable, such as pain or suffering or disappointment. If these undesirable states are absent, we surmise we are happy. But Christian joy is the proper response to the presence of something desirable. Yeah? It's not just, "Oh, you yep, can wake up this morning I'm having too much to worry about. I can have joy." No, no. It's even in spite of those things that might be there, it's the presence of something that is so desirable. Jesus himself. that's his joy. And that's why we just have to get with Jesus. Just get down with Jesus. For some, I feel like a like black African American preacher when I say that. But that's kind of it. It's like, get, get some joy. But shave off the stuff from your life that isn't bringing you joy. And just get with Jesus. Because he is the source of our joy. In my presence is fullness of joy. Jesus said, these things I write to you, that you may remain in me. And that you may know my joy. And that your joy may be full Jesus doesn't want you just like a wee dribble in your joy kink. He wants it full and, and overflowing. Sorry, just got excited there. right? It's fullness of joy. Peace. In the Bible, peace refers to something much reach, r- richer and deeper than the way we talk about peace. right? It's not like just peace of mind. It's just give me a bit of peace. Give me a head of peace, as I say, around here. It's the word shalom. It's a much deeper thing. It's a divine energy that brings life and rest into our lives. Shalom. We've talked about this a lot in our corporate prayers. It's wholeness. It's a life-giving kind of well-being and harmony where everything in our life just starts to become much more congruent. Who we are in our mind and our heart and in our soul starts to kind of align. And we feel the rest that surpasses understanding of the Lord. And because Jesus, the King of kings and the Prince of Peace... Through His own death and resurrection, has brought peace to our lives and knocked down the walls that were between us and Him. That then we don't need to be defensive anymore because we've got the peace that's from beyond this world. We don't need to be. Um, we don't need to find the security of being part of one particular tribe and build a wall around that, which we've done in our country, in order for us to feel secure. Because all those walls can come down. Because we've got the peace that surpasses understanding and therefore that wholeness as part of the fruit of the spirit should overflow in our lives towards our brothers and our sisters. And not even just to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but to those who are not uh, even in the body of Christ yet because he has broken down every wall. Spirit break out we sing it, yeah, don't we? Often, you know, break down our Walls and there's something about this that is so vital for our little country here. God, we're not, you know, nationalism is, you know, is an idol basically, is an idol in so many of people's lives in this country. And the peace of God, it's the peace of God, shoes of the gospel of peace. It's peacemakers that God says are blessed because they are the sons and daughters of God. And the fruit of the spirit should be us pursuing peace, not not just being a pacifist, but pursuing peace and reconciliation. That's the message that we've been given. Right. What, what are we like? Two more, and then we'll finish. Patience, long suffering. Who loves that one? Yeah. Who who loves like uh, who's gonna like admit to being amazing at that? <laughs> right, right. The this is the character of God. That's why it's the fruit of the spirit. Right. Remember, God was one that was described as being full of compassion, abounding in love, and slow to anger. Yeah, Even when his creation turned against him, broke his heart time after time, God was slow to anger. That doesn't mean he wasn't angry. He was, he was just slow to get angry. Now, he was grieved every time his sons and daughters, those image bearers, did stuff that he, you know, didn't want them to do. He was grieved more than we could imagine, but somehow in his uh, abounding love, he found a way to be slow to anger. He wasn't cranky or cantankerous in that way. He was patient. That, we see that right through the Old Testament, and it's Something that we see emphasized even further in the New Testament. Peter said, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand promise. Instead, he is patient. He is patient with you. Uh, we had a wee chat at the start of the summer. Me and uh, the, the, the kids, and I was saying, I, I think we were all there, and I said, like, What does everybody want to work out a wee bit this summer? Right? What does everybody want to like develop a wee bit more of? This was mine. I've been horribly unsuccessful, okay? i <laughs> like developing patience in my life. But patience, God is patient with his image bearers. It's his character and it should be ours. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It's a good one when you're in a row <laughs> with your spouse. It's always a good one to throw out. Slightly manipulative when you go. Love keeps no record of wrongs. (laughs) (laughs) It's not 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 the best way to use it. uh, But but uh, you know the point and the 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 Greek word, the Greek word which is this, which I'm not even going to try to attempt, is always indicating this in the Bible about God's longsuffering. It conveys the idea of having an infinite capacity to be injured without paying back. It's not powerful. You know, how much do we just want to get revenge, get back, or feel entitled? Why could they do that to me? How could they do that to me? All that kind of a thing. You know, with a lot of these fruit of the spirit, (laughs) one of the best ways to actually learn about them is to see them in other people and then try to kind of get around them. So, I was thinking about this, and so my dad, like, he's, he's, you know, he's obviously like a bit of a hero for me. He's got loads of faults, I'm sure, as well. But one of the things that you know I didn't notice about him was. Like you, you know, I'm mum. To be fair, was they were just they were just patient with people. And like, I remember one time when I got my driving license, like just like somebody like shooting out in front of me, and me like you know beeping a horn. And I was like, he looked at me and he's like, oh, don't be a hornblower, blower, son. <laughs> don't be, you know. And I just, and he, and I started to realize this, he never did that. He never did. Now I'm not saying that makes him like Jesus or anything. I'm just saying, like, you know, actually just watching that, you know, just developed in me, you know, why, why, why do we need, like, what does it actually achieve, you know, especially when you live in a small town and you're leader of the church and somebody like that, you, you know, give a rude sign to or something could come here next Sunday, right? It's just, it's not, it's not a good move, right? But more, more than that, deeper than that, it's just not very like, it's not, you know, so I'm not saying that we can't feel rage or we can't even feel, I'm not saying that those emotions won't come, they will come, like, just read the Psalms. It's like, what are you going to do with them? You know, And if our emotions are rightly ordered under the lordship of Jesus, we'll start to become people of the fruit of the Spirit. That's just a trivial enough example of what I'm trying to get to. But basically, it's trying to have a long fuse. It's trying not to be wound up as quick as what we are. It's trying to just still our hearts under Jesus. It's, see, we never talk about being long-tempered. We just talk about being short-tempered, don't we? But what about being long, long-tempered, long having a temperance that's able to deal with these things? The patient person is able to be inconvenienced or even taken advantage of and yet not be upset or angry. We see it all over the life of Jesus. And we can feel that anger. We can feel those human things. But something happens to us where we're able to do with that. And finally, let me just do this one and then I think we're just going to have to finish it next week. Kindness. As we move through these attributes, we'll see that kindness and goodness, the next one, kind of overlap a bit. Kindness is often translated as as, as love or, or goodness. You know, we often hear loving the loving kindness of God kind of goes together, doesn't it? So, you know, as you see, these are kind of reflections, of all of the of the of the, of the prism of light of love they they flow together, and kindness we see through the Bible we see it maybe in, in a in a really beautiful story in the old Testament, where you know you have this kind of David and Jonathan kind of relationship it 's so tight they make covenant with one another, they love one another and in, in, in a really profound and deep way, more for the other than they do themselves and <clears throat> And when Jonathan dies, he's been such a loyal friend to David, that David says, is there anyone left in Jonathan's family that I could show kindness to? It's just a window into the heart of God. See, I think so many Christians think God's up there going, right, who can I, like, punish today? Or who can I, like, get... is there anyone I can show kindness to? That's the heart of God that we see in David. And then, and then the story goes on that he, he, he finds this little boy, Mephibosheth, who's been dropped. who has got he's deformed in in his physical kind of nature and um and David brings him, puts him at the palace, puts him at the seat, and he eats at the king 's table the rest of his life because he shows he shows kindness to uh, this one who's been dropped, and we 've all been dropped we 've all been broken like Mephibosheth, and God shows kindness to us and and so uh, kindness is like a manifestation of this agape love, this other oriented love, especially when helping those in need. And in some ways, loving kindness is uh, like a definite sense of action. I think the kindness is almost like a, a manifestation, a tangible almost act of this agape love. That's what we could say the kindness is. And the thing I love about God is he he, he always front ends with kindness. You know, he front loads with kindness, and we see this with Jesus. He, you know, Jesus is, is truth, and he's 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 all of his things, and, and 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 he's a God of justice. But he always seems to front load with kindness. I love that about God. I love that he, he comes to us with kindness, and, and and we get to that place in in uh, Romans chapter two. We have to remember: Do you pursue on the riches of this kindness and, and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's Kindness. I love that verse. Good kindness leads you to repentance. <clears throat> we needed to come to the place of a conviction of sin, but often, you know, you know, many of us, when maybe we were younger, you know, we're, if we were brought up in in the church, we, we felt kind of scared into, into heaven. Not that's not for everyone, but some of us that's our experience, and we're still living with that. And it's, it's not that that's necessarily all wrong, but it doesn't do true justice to the heart of who God is, but it 's actually his kindness that leads us to repentance for God who so loved the world that he get, you know it, it, he front loads with kindness and so as Christians we should be I, I love the church fathers tell us right that the word k- Christ in Greek is Christos but the word for kind is Christos very similar so the word for for Christ is Christos and the word for Kindness is Christos, and so when the early in the early church, when the people were talking about the Christ ones, because they were so kind and their actions actually stood up to the actions of Jesus, they often got mixed up. So they didn't know whether to call them the kind ones or the Christ ones, because the names were familiar. But more than that, their actions were familiar. Wouldn't it be just amazing if, like, we were known as the kind ones? Isn't that just like a beautiful kind of misunderstanding? Not just the Christ ones, but the, the kind ones, because Christ is kind. You know what? People are reason. People are Christians for two reasons. All right? I'm sorry. People are not Christians for two reasons. One, they've never met a Christian. And two, they have met a Christian. <laughs> and you know what? That is funny but sad, isn't it? That m- mean meanness has kind of marked the church tight fistedness, uh, you know, closedness, exclusivity. It, it's, it's really sad, isn't it, that those are some of the things that you know have been attributed to the church. but we we are the kind ones. Yeah, we are we are the generous ones. People look into their eyes and they see, they see, they said, or they should see kindness. So let us do that with one another. Let's be kind to one another. Let's be kind to those around us. Kind in our actions. Kind in your tone. You know, it's not what you say often, it's how you say it, isn't it? let's Let's be kind people. I just think Jesus was. Sometimes when I when I think and meditate and worship and try to behold, as we talked about, the Lord's glory, and, and I try to think of Him shining like the sun and all its brilliance, and almost unable to look at Jesus because His glory is so profound, and he, you know He's immortal, and he, the light that shot through Him is stronger than the sun. So it's almost like. Your glory is so strong, Jesus, I can't look at it. But then as I kind of meditate in that, it feels like Jesus comes closer to me out of that almost unapproachable light. And as he comes, and I kind to picture his eyes, that's what I picture. I picture like kindness in the eyes of Jesus. Picture like eyes that just like look right into my heart and soul and love me for who I am, knows everything about me and still loves me. I picture the kindness of Jesus and as his kindness kind of like almost like like a laser bolt kind of coming from his eyes right into the depths of my heart i I get changed and I get transformed, and hopefully I become a kind person, yeah a kind person, someone that looks like Jesus. Not just not just like a, a kind of vague niceness, but a, a kindness. And that's what it is to be a, a Christian and to be one that looks like Jesus. We've got four or five more to do. I'm going to finish those next week before we talk about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a constant way. So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is finish this and then look at what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's some um, debate, controversy, whatever you want to call it, about being filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try and deal with that over the next couple of weeks and talk a little bit then about the gifts of the Spirit. Because we love those, don't we? We love the gift of the Spirit. We love the word of knowledge and the prophetic word. And we want to be a church that's completely moving in those gifts. But, you know what I've come to realize throughout my Christian life, particularly being part of the charismatic movement, I want those gifts to look like the fruit because they lose all their kind of credibility if if they're not operated out of a place of love joy peace kindness gentleness goodness faith self-control yeah and so that's where we've kind of labored on these over the last few years. but the reality is as we finish today is we 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 beco- these these are <clears throat> with the fall of kind of Christendom right where lots of these values were very much in the heart of our culture. We've got, we've got. what I want to say is, not to get too deep to finish, but what I want to say is some of those virtues still live on in our culture, but we've kind of secularized them. So people talk a lot about tolerance today and a lot about equality today and a lot about it was to be a good person. But what we have to be very careful about as Christians is that we don't get sucked into that so much that we miss that actually these things come from the character of God they 're the nature of God, and so I think tolerance isn 't necessarily a bad thing, but I think it 's a secular superficial substitute for agape love. It costs actually more than that it actually calls more of me and so what I, why I feel it 's really really important to th- think is because it 'll be on the news today somewhere about you know how, you know we 're actually being because these words and terms terms of goodness what is to be a good person have been so skewed we're actually nearly seen as not the good ones anymore. It's a strange kind of world where these things have flipped. And so that's why we have to get with Jesus. Because the way that we become and bear these fruit in the spirit is not by reading self-help books and not by educating ourselves just simply on the internet. These things come by being in the presence of Jesus and taking on his actual divine nature so that the agape love that a life in the spirit really looks like can be reflected in all of these ways. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. If we are with Jesus, John chapter 15, Stephen read it last week, we will bear much fruit. So if you want to bear this fruit, it's actually relatively simple. It's back to what I was saying. Develop some practices in your life. That actually help you be with Jesus, and be transformed, and think about how you're trying being transformed, and take note when something. So I've noticed. So I start to notice when I see a lack of evidence of the fruit of the spirit in my life, and I take note of it, and I journal it, and I meditate on it, and I go, God, I've noticed that this is in my life. Will you change and transform? It's being. Specific and intentional about that—that that it gets changed. It's not. It's not. You're not going to be changed in the long term. It's just. Well, uh, I'll go to church and hope the Holy Spirit just sort of zaps me. And that. that uh, I'm I'm fine with a good zap from the Holy Spirit, a good encounter of the Holy Spirit. We want that. We need that. We invite an encounter of. It has to be. Anybody that says it isn't, you know, it's just it's just dry without that. The life of the Spirit has to come. But we have to do the work of transformation. We have to do the work. God doesn't, it comes from God, but he doesn't do it all for us. If that makes sense. it's, It's God's grace and kindness engaging with our wills in order to be changed and transformed. And so I just really want to encourage you, get practical about this. What are some of the things that you can put into your life to help you sit with Jesus? Because it's as we abide and remain in the vine, that then we bear fruit. Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you have such a strong desire in your heart for us, God. Thank you that we're not just a random bunch of... uh... yeah. Thank you that we're not just, despite what the media and others tell us, think we're just a a random collection of cells floating around the universe, kind of coming from the animals, just to exist and die. Thank you, God, that we have been created in your image to live forever. Thank you, God, that we've been created in your image to reflect your glory. Thank you that we've been created in your image to be changed and transformed, born again by the Spirit through the work of Jesus and to begin a process of becoming like you, God. God, forgive us where we've believed the lie of the enemy that we could settle for something less than becoming like you, Jesus. Give us the grace. Give us the faith And God, give us the wisdom how to get really practical about this stuff in order that we can grow into Christ-likeness, become like you, Jesus, and do the things that you do for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.